0: Romans chapter 8, what if I were to tell you that I found a secret so awesome that you may not even think it possible for one person to ever possess such things in his life? And what if I told you it was so awesome that knowing this secret has completely changed the way that I view life? What if I told you that this secret has given me a reason to get up in the morning? What if I told you that this secret is so valuable and so precious that everyone would want it? What if I told you that this secret has been in front of yours and my eyes for days and months and even years, but, but I overlooked it and I missed it. What if I told you this secret is not for everyone and yet it's available to anyone? And you can have it. What if I told you that this secret that once you know the secret, nothing in life will ever go against you. Sounds good. What if I were to tell you that once you know this secret, no one will ever be against you? What if I told you that once you know the secret, no matter what happens in life, you can never lose It's starting to sound pretty good, isn't it? What if I told you that once you know the secret, you will never again suffer from anxiety? You will never again suffer from feelings of insufficiency or inadequacy, that you won't feel condemnation in your life? or that you would not feel that you're not good enough once you know the secret. Once what if I told you that once you know this secret, you'll understand what true love is. You like to know the secret? More importantly, would you like to have this secret? are you even ready to embrace this secret? The secret is that it's not a secret. But it's treated as one. Because it seems way too good to be true. The secret is Jesus Christ. If you've listened really carefully to what I said, everything that I've told you today is true. But, as I said earlier, it's not for everyone. However, it is available to anyone. Because it is available only to Christians. We're going to look at that in a second. The problem, however is that only a small percentage of Christians are actually enjoying the secret today. They'll actually believe it. They'll actually embrace it. They'll actually live in the freedom that is afforded to them by the secret. And that is a freedom that you have in Christ. A confidence that you have in Christ. A radical life change because you are in Christ. Christ let's stand together we're going to read Romans chapter 8 we're going to begin uh, in verse 28 Paul has up to this point been talking about uh, uh, you know that there's no therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus um, that that we who are, are you know spiritually minded should not be carnally minded we we you know, have been adopted into uh, the Lord, into God, uh, or into Christ, through Christ, into God, through Christ, and we we cry out in the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father, which is, Abba is a an affectionate term for dad. In, in fact, it's even more, it's it's in a term of endearment, it's a Greek term of endearment, it says there in verse 15, Abba, Father, that Abba is a, is a term of endearment that a child would look at his father and, and call him daddy, if you will. Daddy. When was the last time you ever talked to God and said daddy to him? Daddy, father. Daddy, father. It almost sounds, well, that's kind of weird. Well, is it weird? Or is that what Paul is trying to get us to understand? that we would have this term of endearment towards the Lord. And that that he's been talking about how, yes, we've gone through sufferings. Yes, we are going through sufferings. Maybe there are some present sufferings in your life, but they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us in that day. And that we actually groan, longing for that day. When there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more darkness, no more of that. Uh, but, then, but then Paul, he writes here in verse 28, we're going to read uh, from 28 through the end of the chapter. He says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he's also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but he delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. And who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it's written in Psalm 44, For your sakes we're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And yet, in all these things we're more than conquerors. You see that? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I, Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, speak through your word. You may be seated. So... talked about a secret. The secret. This is a secret. As we opened up this passage, we see here, it says, and we know that all things work together for good. In verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called or the called according to his purpose. It is a very... Familiar phrase, isn't it? It's a phrase that you might even have on a painting at your house or on some letterhead. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And yet the second half of the verse is very very rarely continued with the first half of the statement. All things work together for good. We've heard it. Maybe there's something that's going on in somebody's life. Uh, maybe there's a tragedy. Maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe there is a a loss of a job. Maybe there's a loss of a relationship. Maybe there's a loss of a house. Maybe there's there's a a you know a, a contention. You know, maybe whatever it might be, whatever the situation is. Oftentimes you'll have a friend that will come up and say, hey, listen, though, all things work together for good. Remember that all things work together for good. Now. That's something that we will like to say to people, right? Because it, it's a whole lot easier when we, when we go in and we give them the old Newt Rockne speech, you know, hey, just this real encouraging, hey, man, all things work together for good, man. But when we're going through it and somebody gives that to us, you almost want to, you know, blacken their eye a little bit and say, and that's going to go for good too. Because you don't feel in the moment very good about what you're going through. But as I said, this phrase is oftentimes used, and very much so, by the world. The world will use it. People that have no relationship with God whatsoever. Hey, we know all things work together for good, man. All things work together for good. No, they don't. They really don't. In fact, if you're a non-believer in Christ, all things are not working together for good for you. It's a bad thing for you right now. It's this false sense of security in using a catchy phrase out of the Bible that people will find some confidence in because somebody has quoted to them a scripture from the Bible that can apply to their own life. I'm not saved, a person might be. A a person's not saved, and, and yet you give them this confidence. Hey, man, I know that you're going through it right now. I know that things are going bad in your life right now, but hey, man, all things work together for good. You know, that's a lie. That's not truth. Now, it could be truth for that person, but in the moment that they have no relationship with Christ, it is a fallacy. It's not truth. In fact, you actually are being used as a minion of the enemy to try to convince this person that the tragedy or the the difficulty that they're enduring at that moment, that it's not that bad. That it's not that bad. Now, it doesn't mean that God might use this, that situation to draw them to himself, and he oftentimes does. But at the moment that a person is in the midst of their difficulty and they have no relationship with Christ, it's a, it's a null statement for them. It's a, it's a stupid statement to say to, say, to say to a non-believer because all things don't work together for you if you're a non-believer. Because the Bible verse continues on. He says, All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. There's a couple things that I want to you know focus on here before we move on, but but here, here's the thing. All things do work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. the The word uh, called is is in the Greek is pas p a s and 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 literally what that means is is. You're invited. Have you ever been on the school playground? And I know I've used kind of this, kind of this illustration like this uh, every once in a while where you're on the playground and, and or maybe you're not in elementary school or anything like Maybe you're just doing a pickup game of basketball or something like that, you know. Have you ever been that guy that all the people are standing out and usually the two best players are the ones that are captains of both teams, but there's always one that is like significantly better than the other. And and you sit there and and they're sitting there and, and they're choosing teams. This kind of happened to us in the youth group thing, when we had a youth group thing, when, when we had played basketball over here at Richardson Park, you know, you know, the. The best basketball type players were were the captains, you know, and all the rest of us were sitting there going, hey, man, I want to be on that guy's team because, you know what, they're they're going to do well. They're going to do well. I want to be on the winning team. And, man, I think I can add some things to this team, you know, but have you ever been the guy? That everybody else has picked. And when it finally gets down to the last two people, you're just going, just don't let me be the last one. And then the other guy gets picked, and the way that you get picked is, uh, yeah, hey, come on. Hey, you can be on our team. You kind of go, great. I mean, how well are you going to play? You know? I mean, you are chosen by obligation. They have to have another body. You know? You are nothing more than just a substitute for a rock. You know? You just need to be there. You know, they, don't, they didn't want you on the team. They, they got stuck with you, man. You know, and you feel real good. No, you don't. You don't feel good. But I've been that guy. Especially when it comes to basketball, they go, dude's got maybe a three-quarter inch vertical leap. But here's the thing, listen. When God called you, I want you to know, God called you. He joyously called you. If you're a Christian in this room here today, you weren't an afterthought. You weren't, well, man. Jesus didn't sit there and go, man, we don't have any more Spurgeons. (laughs) We don't have any more Grams. Smiths are all out. All right, Haskins, come on. You know, come on. I need I need you as a body. Come on. You know, that's not how God chose you. God didn't choose you that way. God chose you joyously. He chose you joyously. He looked upon you and he said, "I want you." And not Uncle Sam, this is God saying, I want you on my team. I want you in, in my family. I want you in heaven with me. And you know what, I think that a lot of us, a part of the secret, why it's not believed, why it's not lived out, or why it's not embraced is because we feel like that last man picked. We feel like we have nothing to offer, or we feel like, wow, you picked me because you felt sorry for me. God, you pick me because, well, because you always pick the losers. I mean, look at the successful people in the world. A lot of them aren't Christians. You pick the losers. You know, Ted Turner is the one that said, hey, Christianity is for losers. You know, if the man, is he still alive, by the way? I, I think he is. I think he is. But, you know, if he doesn't turn, if he doesn't change, if he doesn't change that mindset, if he doesn't bow his heart to Christ In this life, he'll bow his knee in the next, but he'll bow his knee to Christ as his judge and not his Lord. And those words are going to ring in his ears for eternity. Christianity is for losers. Christianity is for losers. Christianity is for losers. Why wouldn't I? Why couldn't I be a loser? Why couldn't I? I've opened my eyes big enough. My money got in the way. My success got in the way. My everything else in the world was in the way. But why couldn't I have been a loser? Quote, unquote, loser. I gonna just echo in his word for eternity. And if Ted Turner is still alive, he's probably in his late 70s. Maybe early 80s. The man doesn't have a lot of time left here on the planet. And I know that there's that old phrase out there, you can't teach old, dog new, old dogs new tricks, but here's the thing. There's still opportunity for Ted Turner to turn his heart over to Christ. Why? Because if he's still alive, which I think he is, that very breath that he's breathing today to keep his body alive is a gift from the one that he's dissed. And here's the thing. If Ted Turner never comes to know the Lord, know this. Jesus walked past him and pointed at you. I want you on my team. Why wouldn't you want Ted Turner on your team? Now, This isn't to say that Jesus chooses some to go to hell and some others to go to heaven. I don't want to get into this long discussion here today and and it's going to present its opportunity here in a couple verses. But... I don't want to get into that major, long discussion. I'll speak a little bit more on it as we get to that. But here's the thing. He chose you. If you're a Christian, you responded. And he chose you joyously. So so get it out of your head that you were an afterthought. That you were the one that that he had to take to fill out his team because he needed a warm body in heaven and that side of the you know galaxy. He didn't do that. He chose you because he saw in you the person, the woman, the man that he's he wants you to become. He saw in you what he wants to do in your life. The secret is are you gonna let him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your life? That's where we start not understanding and living and, and, and enjoying the secret to this life that we've been promised is when we lack faith. We, we think, ah, it's not me. You know, it's for everybody else, but not me. That's the enemy talking to you. That's your flesh talking to you. Knock it off. Go back to what the word of God says. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So now that you're called, how is it that all things work together for good? I mean, that almost sounds uh, almost petty. Almost I you know, pie in the sky, really, truthfully, really, all things work together for good. Yeah. Uh, consider, if you will, what I brought up here today. Here, I brought a, a, a bag of, of, of groceries. Now, I want you to consider what this bag of groceries represents. This bag of groceries represents your life. Repre- it represents the issues, the things that go on in your life. All right, here's here's let's start off with something, you know, good. Here's, here's sugar. Who likes sugar? I like sugar. Sugar's good. Sugar tastes good, doesn't it? Nice and sweet. Nice and sweet. I don't have a problem with sugar. Sugar's pretty good, right? This would almost, this would represent those things in our life that, that, man, they're pretty palatable, man. They're pretty good. They're all right. Things that happen in our life that, that, you know, know, you're driving in the freeway at like 82 and all of a sudden a cop pulls up behind you and the lights are on and you're going, oh no, and you start pulling over and he passes you. You go, that's a sugar, (laughs) right? Right? You're like digging on that, man. That's great. That's sugar. That's a sugar instance in your life, right? Okay. All right. Now, Crisco. Who would like to come up here and just take one big chunk out of this and just eat it right now? You like Crisco? You don't like Crisco, do you? Who likes to eat Crisco? I, you aren't even going to be bold enough to raise your hand if you do, but I mean, I'm thinking something's wrong with you if you like Crisco. If you just, like, open this little container and, like, take a little spoon and, and sit there and watch probably a really silly movie, because if you're eating this, you like <laughs> weird things, okay? And, and so you're, you're eating off this lard tasteless lard, if you will. I'm sure the top of your roof is like oily. You know, you know what that tastes? These would represent those difficult times in our life. Those, those, those times where you're going, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have had to gone down this road. This is this represents that that time uh, when you did that thing that you did back in 1982 in the bus barn, you know, uh, when you shouldn't have been in the bus barn and you got busted for it. You know, you this is this represents that this is that that experience in your life that you go ah. I I I didn't like that one. I didn't like that experience. I I, I in fact I hated that experience. Um. You know, uh, baking soda. Eh. Who likes baking soda? Anybody take baking soda just by itself? I do too, Bert. Yeah and I if you've never done it, if you have a little acid indigestion in your stomach, you can take a little bit of water and take a little baking soda and stir it up until the the water gets clear and then drink it down, and then hold on because it's going to foam up. <laughs> <laughs> You ever do this on a battery? That's what you do on batteries. If you've got battery in your car and it's covered with acid, you take some baking soda and you put a little water in and make a paste out of it and take that paste out there and stick it on that positive uh, uh, terminal on your battery and all that gunk that's on there is going to turn bright red. And it will foam because baking soda diffuses or neutralizes acid. And so that's what it does in your stomach. It neutralizes the acid. And for the next 15 minutes, you're going to burp. And you need to burp, because if you don't, you're going to pop, you know. (laughs) But, But baking soda would represent those times in your life where I probably shouldn't have eaten that much, but I sure am glad that I have baking soda. It's it's those times where, where you shouldn't have done something, but you actually you realize, hey, you know what? I did it, and you know I've learned from it. I've learned from it, and it, I don't think I'll do that again. I, it's it's a learning experience. It's a learning experience. You know, uh, buttermilk. Who drinks buttermilk in here? I know that there's probably some in here that drink buttermilk. We are going to pray for you after the service. <laughs> buttermilk. I would not take a glass of buttermilk. Well, I wouldn't want to. But, but it's, it's, this would represent those, those times in your life, except for Marianne, that are difficult times in your life. And they turn your stomach. There, there are times that you're just going, I, I, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to do this. I do not want to do this. I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm so wishing I didn't have to go through this and it's, it's turning my stomach up. It could be a tragedy. It could be a death in the family. I'm sorry, Marianne, that I'm likening buttermilk to death in a family, but it's uh, it's just bad. <laughs> I'm, just <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. No, my my dad loves buttermilk too. I don't know. It's there's just a certain people that like buttermilk. But here's the thing, you don't like you don't like that experience. It's a gut wrenching experience. Uh, th- There's others here that that I won't go through all of my ingredients, but but here you got that, that Hershey's chocolate cocoa. Who likes cocoa? Who likes it in this form? Do you eat it in this form with no sugar? You like it? Maybe I can put some of this in buttermilk and you and Mary Ann can have some afterwards. But here's the thing. Listen, here's the thing. This looks good, but it tastes bitter. This is one of those experiences in your life that, that, that it, it looked like it was a good idea, but it wasn't. How many of you ever have like, tried to taste this like going, hey, that's probably going to be really good. And you taste it and you go, is this really what cocoa tastes like? Oh my goodness, you know, there's no sweetness to it. I thought it was going to be a sweet decision. I thought it was going to be a good decision, but you know what? It wasn't. In fact, it was a horrible decision in my life. Why did God allow me to go through that kind of a thing? Couldn't he have stopped me? I thought it was sweet and it turned out to be bitter. Why? Why God? you know all of these are there and and, and you, you know you know a chocolate you know a a, a chocolate who likes these huh? <laughs> everybody's good eh, pass it pass it pass it that's it. Here's the thing. Lindor peppermint Preachable. Preachable. patty <laughs> chocolate. There you go, Nancy. <laughs> here's the thing. It goes to a woman. A woman needs the dark chocolate. Come on. Here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. Those are those sweet, sweet times in your life where man... You knew it was going to be sweet. You made the decision and you did it anyways. And it turned out exactly the way you thought it was. And man, if you just could just stay in this place, oh, it's great. You just, I wish I could make those decisions all the time. I wish all of my decisions turned out this way. But can you imagine if you feasted on any one of these things, even the Lindor chocolates, as being your main course, how sick would you get of Lindor chocolates after a little while? I know, I know that you don't think you would get sick of it. But, you know, that's actually one of the little tricks that weight watching, you know, uh, uh, some of those older weight watching uh, uh, methods used to be is, you like chocolate? Oh, you're not going to like it after we're done with you. Eat it. Eat more. I'm t- I'm I'm full. No, eat, eat more. Eat more. Eat more. Eat more. Eat more. I'm sick of chocolate. I don't ever. I'm sick. I, you know. I threw up on chocolate. I never want to eat chocolate again. And it works for a little while, maybe. Probably wasn't the best of methods, but probably why it isn't a, a big, you know, popular method today. But but here's the thing. Not one of these things do we want to feast on all the time. But Paul says, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to to His purpose. If all of these things are mixed together and they're put in an oven, a crucible, (laughs) what comes out? I think something delicious, moist chocolate sweet, awesome looking, awesome tasting meal comes out of it, right? but eating just one of these things by themselves we don't we don't go, hey, I want to have a chocolate sheet cake or sheath cake i don 't know what you call it. Some of these, most of these ingredients are in it, except for the Lindor chocolates. I saw those, and I just wanted to play with those. But, but most of this ingredient is in a sheet cake, sheath cake, either way. But here's the thing. You wouldn't want to just eat one of these things. You wouldn't want to go. All right, here's the thing. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take a little, little milk. I'm gonna take a, a little chocolate. I'm gonna take a little buttermilk. I'm gonna take a little, you know, Crisco oil. I'm gonna stir it all up, and I'm gonna drink it down. That's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. It has to go through the fire. It has to go through the process. And here's the thing. All things will work together for good in your life. You and I are going to go through times in our life that we're going to be eating Crisco. There's going to be other times we're going to be eating Lindor candies. We're, there's going to be sweet decisions. There's going to be hard decisions. There's going to be there, But they're all the decisions, the situations in our life that make us the man or the woman, that God is wanting to make us. And that's why God says all things work together for good to those who love God. He's making you into something. You know the verse, don't you? In Ephesians chapter 2, what verse is it? Verse? Wow, you're not with me. You're not tracking with me, I guess. Verse 10, right? We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? The the word workmanship is the word poema, where we get our term poem from. And so looking at it in that manner, we are his poem created in Christ Jesus. We are God's poem. God is making you into this beautiful poem. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He is writing into your life the man or the woman that he wants you to become. And here's the thing. All those things are going to work out for good if you trust him. What does that do to our lives when we enter into those difficult times in life? Do we mourn in those times? Yeah, we do. Do we, do, we, do we feel pain? Of course we do. We're human. That's, that's an emotion that God has given to us. But in the deep recesses of our heart, if we're living according to the way that the Lord wants us to live, if we understand what Paul is trying to get us to this place, and that is, listen, life is not about you. It's about me now. It's about what I want to do in your life. And so the difficult circumstance that you're going through right now is something that I'm using to refine portions of your life. It's something that I'm allowing you to go through to become something that is usable to me that I can go and and possibly reach somebody else. That what you're going through, that wouldn't work on them. But they need to go through something and then hear it from you to go through the same thing. And and to to help them through. I remember it was a time when Lynette and I had lost uh, through miscarriage. Uh, You know, would have been Nathan's older brother or sister, you know. And it, it devastated us. I mean, those of you in here who have lost babies that way, it's devastating, isn't it? And it broke us and we cried about it and we prayed. I remember praying that God would restore that life. We found it out through an a, 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 a ultrasound tech who was a new Christian in our singles group. So a couple of you people would know her, Justine Kaminsky. Remember Justine? We're so excited. She goes, just come in. They allow me to do as many ultrasounds as I want. I just want to, I want you guys to come in. And she was so excited. You know, we loved her and we were bringing her in and we kind of, we were helping her along and she was growing in the faith. She was such a sweet gal, still was a sweet gal. And here's the thing, she's in there and she's showing, she's going, and it's such an exciting day. I'm going to take pictures for you. Please come in. I want to do this for you. And we're sitting there and up to this point, everything's healthy. And she goes in there and she's looking and all of a sudden she's like, Taking her little points, and all of a sudden her countenance changes. In in there, and and we're going. Justine, what's what's what are you doing? She goes, um, hang on for a second. And she went and got somebody, came back in, and they're looking. And she's drawing a point here, and drawing another point here, and marking it off at a distance, and so on and so forth, and taking a snapshot and drawing a point here and drawing another point here, taking a snapshot. And she says, now, here are some photos. You need to take these to your doctor right away. And we did, and the doctor said, you've lost your baby. What? I remember that night laying on the couch. Lynette was laying on the couch, and I remember crying over the top of her, praying that God would heal her, heal this baby inside of her. And I, I remember we were both crying out to the Lord. And it was a devastating time for us. We so desperately wanted a child. We didn't have one. And so he, here's, here's what happened. We dealt with that situation. And we trusted the Lord through it. We, we believed that God knew what was going on. And though we were devastated, though we were grieving, and though we were mourning, we, and, and we didn't really know why. Come on, God, what did we do? Did we do something wrong? Or, or what, what, what is going on? We don't understand. It was in that, that that all of a sudden our pastor, the man that was mentoring us at the time, He called us one day and said, hey, man, uh, I I dropped my car off for for some work and we lived real close to him. And he says, hey, can you guys give me a drive, you know, a a ride into work today? And and, uh, I said, sure, you bet, man. We'll come by and pick you up. We picked him up and we're driving in, you know, driving him back to the office, you know, into the office for that morning. And and all of a sudden he goes, hey, um, hey, can I ask you guys a question? How, How did you guys deal with that miscarriage? Uh, well, uh, thanks for picking that wound for us, but here's what we did, and we kind of talked, and then he kind of directed most of his conversation to Lynette at that time, but, uh, and then he said, "Hey, uh, me and, and, and my wife nobody really knew it, but she was pregnant. And we just lost the baby. And we're having a hard time right now. And it was at that time that we had an opportunity to minister to a man that had ministered to us so much. And it was so difficult. It was difficult, but there was an opportunity to minister. Why did we go through that? Could God not have ministered to him another way? Of course he could. But that's a way that God desired to work in his life at that time. And I I really don't bring up this to try to elicit... Anything other than the point that I'm trying to make, these difficult times that we go through in life are there to help us become the man or the woman or the child that God wants us to be. But then also to be able to be an instrument in God's tool belt to be used for him. Because when I came to Christ, as Paul said in in, in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And so it's no longer about me. It's now about Christ and what the life that I now live. I live for Christ. That's what it is. And so the difficult times that I go through, they're there for Christ to make me the man that he wants me to be. The sweet times that I go through in life, they're there to make me the sweet man that God wants me to be. He, they're all there to make up the, the sum of the whole. Does it make sense? Guys, we go through these times in our life for purposes like that. And, 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 And I know that the past two weeks we've kind of been talking about this. Actually, the past three times I've talked. We talked about sufferings three weeks ago, and Kevin taught two weeks ago, and then last week we talked again a little bit about it. But Paul's now getting into kind of a crescendo of the secret. He's going... Listen, if you're living for Christ, if, if you really love God, and if you really understand that you're called, no, no, you're chosen, you're picked. You're picked by him. You're picked to be on his team. Because you're valuable to him. Then understand this, there are going to be circumstances in your life where he is using you. To become, he's molding and he's shaping. You ever see a pot on a on on the spinning wheel? You you look at that, and I we've had Mike and Pam Rizel from Pottersfield Ministries here a few times. And here's the thing: if those of you who, how many of you guys have ever seen the Pottersfield, you know, ministry? Well, there's some of you that didn't. Well, basically, what it is is that Mike Rizel is a he's a potter, and he throws you know clay on a pot you know just a big old rectangle piece of chunk of clay on this on this spinning wheel he throws water on it and he starts you know massaging the 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 mud and the clay and what have you and the next thing you know he's making it into something and the next thing you know he's pulling some off he's throwing it down he's taking this he's putting it over and he's molding the shape and he's putting his arm down inside he's making it wider he's making it you know having all these different little curves on it making it look really cool and then he sits there and he's making it and all of a sudden he goes it's not right it's not right. There's something wrong here. There's gunk inside, that, and he reaches down, and he gets all, I mean, it looks good on the outside, but then he reaches down inside, and he goes, but here's the junk that's still there. And he pulls out all this junk that's still in there that has to come out to become the person that, that pot that he wants it to be. And God uses this, the word uses God as the potter and we being the clay. And God is doing this in our life. And there was a, there's a time in, in, in Mike's presentation that he'll take that pot that he makes and it looks pretty cool. And he goes, you know what, but that's not the pot that I want to make. I know that it looks good right now, but what I'm doing is I'm airing out some of the bubbles. And here's what I'm doing. Now, I don't want to do this pot. I want to do it something different. And he folds this pot and all of a sudden he just basically destroys it and starts building it from the ground up. And and have we ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that way that you felt like God was making you into something and you, you felt like things were going pretty good and then all of a sudden it's like God started folding you over and taking you down and working out all the kinks again to build you back up and you're going, why? I, I, I thought I was doing pretty good. And, and God the potter, he wasn't done with you yet. Always remember, always remember this point. If you are breathing, if you're breathing, God is not done with you. When you stop breathing, God's going, it's good. You know, you're pitching tomorrow in heaven. (laughs) It's time for you to be here. But until you stop breathing, God's still working on you. God's still making the man or the woman or the kid that he's he's wanting you to be. And all those things you're going on through in life are just the ingredients that are making up the sum of the whole. So all things do work together for good to those who love God. That's part of the secret. That is the key to the secret. Do you love God? Do you recognize that you've been invited to be on his team? You are the called according to his purpose. You see that? All things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called. What are the last three words? Well, four words, sorry. According to his purpose. It's his purpose. Not your purpose not your purpose. That's when the secret gets stashed. That's when we start having a hard time with this whole thing. I'm having a hard time because things just aren't going my way. Wait a minute. Many of our problems that we have in our Christian walk can all be traced back to us wrestling control of the reins of our life back from the Lord. We become owners again. And then we wonder why things aren't going good. We wonder why, man, where's the joy? Well, maybe the joy is gone because you've wrestled the control away from the Lord for your own life. You know, the secret is to die. That's what Paul Came up to there in right? Galatians 2.22. I've been crucified with Christ. I died. Paul died. There was a day that Paul died. And when I rose again, it was no longer I who lives, but it was Christ who lives in me. It's a picture of baptism. If you've been baptized, you know what we talk about, don't you? You go in under your own volition. We're not forcing you to go into the water. God's not forcing you to become a Christian. I'm not forcing you to become a Christian. Nobody's forcing you to become a Christian. Under your own volition, you say, hey, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need need saved. I need salvation. And so you walk into the water. That's a picture of you making your own choice to go into the water and say, hey, I want to become a Christian. I want to go in and I want to follow Christ. He's not forcing you. But he's calling you. He's going, come on. I want you. I'm choosing you to be on my team. You see, on that, that youth group basketball game that day, and I don't know if I was the last one chosen, but you know those kind of things do happen, especially in basketball, like I say. If my team captain said, okay, uh, Pastor Don, you're on our team. I I could have just stood there and said, yeah, I'm just not so sure I want to play. You see, I wouldn't have played. I, I I wouldn't have been on the team if I wouldn't have played, if I wouldn't have accepted the invitation to be on the team, regardless of how it was offered to me. But it's the same kind of a thing In the Christian family, in God's family, you want to be a son, you want to be a daughter, God's calling you. But you've got, you've got to, you've got to receive, you've got to receive, you've got to accept that invitation. And so when you walk into the water, that's what that picture is, you're walking in under your own volition. I was invited, I am accepting, and you walk into the water. And as you walk into the water, we sit there, we talk about, you know, how you came to Christ and what have you. We talk a little bit about your testimony a little bit. Then we turn you around. And what do we do? We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as you assume that position, you know, with your fingers over your nose and your hand on your wrist. And then I grab a hold of your arms and dunk you back down in the water and I pull you back up. And here's the thing. What is that signification? It is you dying. I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer i who live but Christ who lives in me <laughs> and then i pick you back up out of the water and as i pick you back up out of the water when you walk out you've been you've you've are are signifying that you died with Christ you rose with Christ and now as you walk out of the water you're saying i'm walking in Christ now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's all about Christ. We never realize the secret to true happiness and true love until we realize that it's not about us. We've got to stop making life about us. It has got to be about the Lord. It has got to be about God. Any other resolve in your life is futile. It's going to cause depression. It's going to cause discouragement. It's going to cause you to wash out in your Christian walk. But when you give your whole heart to the Lord and say, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. Lord, this situation, I'm so, I, I don't want to have to go through this situation. I, 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 this, this accident has happened or this tragedy has happened or this suffering is going on in my life. I would not have chosen this for me, but Lord, you know that I am no longer my own. I'm yours. And why you are allowing me to go through, I have no idea. But one thing I do know, I will not deny you. Lord, I will follow you. And Lord, I know you're using this for something. God, make me wise enough to know what it is and help me to learn. And, 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 and there's that, that secret of deep, joy even in the midst no it doesn't say recognize that it doesn't say deep happiness Jesus says in me you'll find joy and your joy will be full he didn't say in me you'll find happiness and your happiness will be full because joy and happiness are not synonymous terms right you can be happy because you know you somebody's you know making you happy, but somebody comes in and does something downer to you and 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 you're down, man, you don't want to do it anymore and 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 all of a sudden your your whole countenance changes you're not happy anymore joy on the other hand, you have this joy that you wake up with in the morning and say lord you're a part- you you are in my life, and now I'm going to live in you, and so I have a joy knowing that God you're going to see me through this day or or not." Where I'm going to be home. And like Paul says, I don't know, to be here would be advantageous. But to be with you, man, I'd love to be with you. It doesn't matter where I am, Lord, if I'm with you or if I'm here, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do in my life, there's this deep-seated joy knowing that the God who created the heavens and the earth is the one that is controlling your life. And you are living for him. So there's that joy when you encounter that difficult circumstance in your life, you're not happy, but you still have that deep-seated joy, that anchor of your soul that's there. That's the secret. It's Christ. That's verse 28. And I thought I was going to probably try to get through most of these verses today. But verse 28 is a phenomenal verse and i wanted us to know what that verse meant that makes sense today i hope so father we come before you today we thank you lord for you being you and you choosing us and we're sorry lord when we try to wrestle control away from you and when you try to include us in the offense, we grab a hold of the ball and <laughs> we try to go and score from the top of the, you know, from the half court circle because, because we just want to shoot. We think that that's where we need to shoot. We, we do things where we shouldn't be doing things when we do them in and of our own strength and in and of our own power. We lose the ball. We lose the focus. We lose We lose the joy because we're living for us. And, and Lord, we're so sorry for that. God, we confess that we take control the wheel of our life away from you. Lord, help us to, to to not just get in the back seat, but get in the trunk. God put us put us in a place where we can't reach the steering wheel. I know that you're not going you're not going to do that. You're always going to give us the opportunity. To say, no, I don't want to do it your way, God. And you'll, you'll just let us. But what heartache. We endure because we do things like that. Discouragement. Lord, we just get so bummed in our walk with you because we start going through the motions because things aren't going the way that we, quote unquote, thought that they should go. But every time we come up with that scenario in our head, help us to understand that when we do that, we as a player are wrestling control away from the coach, saying this is what you need to do and I'm going to force you to do it, only to see yourself fail time and time and time again. And yet that coach is always there. He's letting you take control. We go out and make fools out of ourselves. We become discouraged. And then, Lord, we finally come to our senses and we come back to you and we say, Lord, we're so sorry. I don't want to do that. I'm so sorry that I did what I did. That was stupid. That wasn't of you. That was not part of your game plan. And now, Lord, you have another game plan from that game plan that I've twisted. You've now made adjustments. You've now made a perfect plan from this point forward. Now, Lord, I submit my life, my mind, my heart, my body, the all that I am to you. Help me to realize what your plan is for my life. Help me to not argue with you. Help me to just do what you want me to do. Help me not to be stubborn. Help me not to be stiff-necked. Help me not to have a hard heart. Help me to be a man. Help me to be a woman. Help me to be a child, Lord, that you would be not just proud of, but Lord, that you see is willing to just go for it in you with a smile on my face. Because, Lord, I know that my life is not mine anymore, it's yours. Lord, I pray that upon every one of our lives in this room that we understand that you own us. You are our master. You are our Lord. You are the one that is calling the shots. And now, Lord, help us with grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit to live that life that you desire us to live that we may crack a smile upon your face as you proudly look upon your sons and daughters living for you. May we be those lights in the dark community that we live in, in this dark society we live in, in this dark world that we live in. And may we shine brightly in these last days that we're living in. Help us to get out of the way so that you can be seen. Help us to recognize that we were chosen by you emphatically, joyously chosen by you to be on your team. Not an afterthought choice. Not a being forced into making the choice. But Lord, you wanted to choose us. You called us by name. Thank you, God. We don't feel worthy, but Lord, you chose us. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to give our life to you. You do with it as you will. Be glorified in our life. Be glorified in this church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.